Mayday. The boy drew one deep breath into his lungs and ran as fast as he could through the dew-wet grass, bare feet sliding and squeaking through the blades, water droplets splashing his knees and thighs. He cursed last night's heavy dew, though he knew his sisters would be pleased. Back at their cottage they would be washing their faces in the dawn dew, for everyone knew that the dew on May morning had special properties and could make a plain girl pretty and a pretty girl beautiful. None doubted this. This was more than superstition, more than lore, it was proven fact. This was May Day, the ancient Celtic festival of Beltane, a time of magic and mystery. But Kieran was interested in none of this. This was the morning to prove his courage. A dozen other lads of about his own age, on the brink of puberty, had gathered beside Lokger to see if he was brave enough to be one of their own. If he failed the test, he would be relegated to childhood again, doomed to seek companions among little boys rather than those who thought themselves almost men. The day was grey and overcast, the air so moist it clogged the lungs and clung to the skin, slicking Kieran's raven hair to his skull. There was a decided chill in the air, belying the promise of summer to come. The boy's foot turned on the grass, and he felt one of the razor-sharp blades nick his heel. Blood! What would happen if he split, split blood here? Would the wizard Fitzgerald rise and feast off it? He didn't know, but the very thought was terrifying. The boy's dark eyes ranged over the uneven ground, deliberately concentrating on it, trying not to think about anything else. As he ran towards the lake, he did not dare think. If he thought too long about what he was about to do, he simply w wouldn't do it. He must throw himself into the water before his mind could sensibly prevent him. His bare feet touched the muddy verge of a lake. It was a heartbeat away. His staring eyes were fixed on the silvery surface of Loch Gur. The water was quite opaque beneath the sunless sky, looking like a sheet of lightly polished metal. The lads who had gathered to observe the rite of passage grinned wickedly and elbowed one another. They had all done this and knew what Kieran was about to experience. The heart-stopping chill of the water, the aching muscles, then the long shivering walk back home and the beating by mother with a wooden spoon or father with a leather belt. And if you were particularly unlucky, you caught a cold afterwards and spent the best part of the week coughing and sneezing in bed. But the boys of the village had been jumping into Lockger on May morning for as long as anyone could remember. No one knew who had started it, though they all knew the story behind it. Everyone knew the story. Or a version of the story. The mighty Earl of Desmond was notorious in the 16th century for his practice of the black arts. He brought shame to his illustrious name of Fitzgerald and struck terror in the heart of his countess, a pious woman. He was re reputedly able to change into a bird or animal 
at will, spying on his tenants and horrifying his enemies. When the man known to many as Wizard Fitzgerald finally died, they were those who said it was a hoax, that he could not die, that he had made an unholy pact with the devil to preserve his foul life forever. Some of his family tried to claim he was more sinned against than sinning, but the common folk would not listen. Tales of his spectral form were soon being told throughout the south of and west of Ireland. Once every seven years, it was said that on May morning, he emerged from beneath the water of Loch Gur in full armour to gallop, gallop across the surface of the lake on a mighty charger shod in magical silver shoes. And the only evidence of the spirit's passing would be the splashes etched into the still waters of the lake. Legend had it that the wizard would be forced to repeat this performance time and again until the whole shores wore so thin that they fell off. And it was claimed that his fury at being so bound made him more dangerous in death than he had been in life. Lochgur was a place to be avoided once every seven years. But at some time in the past, the young lads of County Limerick had devised a scheme to put their burgeoning manhood to the test. In the intervening years, the run was accompanied by shouts and cries and echoing laughter. But on the seventh year, the run was conducted in silence. And this year, Kieran O'Carroll was running to prove he was a man. He would have preferred to forego the honour, but he could not bear to be branched a coward. So he must run, at full speed towards the lake, and throw himself in, just as Wizard Fitzgerald was expected to rise from the waters. And just because the wizard hadn't risen from the water in the past, that didn't mean that this couldn't be the very morning. Kieran measured his steps to the water's edge, six, seven at the most. Beyond the le lake stood a remarkable and ancient stonework. In a time beyond the known history of Ireland, an early, earlier race had erected numerous stone circles around the country, testifying the rituals lost in the midst of antiquity. The largest of these stood beside Locker, aligned with the stars and the seasons. It might once have served as calendar. According to the local old women, however, who relished a bloodier tale, its purpose had been human sacrifice, and it was the aura of these dark deeds that still lurked in the stones and held the wicked Earl of Des Desmond in the waters of Locker. Forest Steps. It was a good story. The boys gathered in the lake shore believed it, as much as they believed in anything their youth and bravado. At the very last moment, Kieran thought he was—he saw movement just below the surface of the lake in front of him. He tried to stop, but by then his momentum was too great. One. With a despairing wail, quite unlike the courageous yell he meant to give, he plunged into water. All the locker was deep at its centre. 
A shallow shelf extended from the lake shore, which meant that the boy didn't immediately plunge beneath the surface. The shock of the cold water drove the breath from his body, and he floundered momentarily. If he had been able to get a good purchase of his toes in the mud, he might have turned back then and scrambled ashore. He was a good swimmer and didn't fear the water. But the mud was old, slick ooze. Trying to walk in it was the surest way to lose one's balance. He lurched sideways, flayed his arms widely, then suddenly sat down, dis disappearing beneath the surface. The watching boys laughed and shouted, yelled encouragement. Kieran came spluttering to the surface. He spat out a stream of lake water. A sense of elation flooded through him. He was in the lake. He was alive. He had actually gone under and come up again. No wizard had appeared. No hand had snatched him down. An idea occurred to him. Watching the lads gathered on the bank as he did so. He flung up his arms against and screamed convincingly. A hand grips my ankle! He cried. His voice rising. He ducked beneath the surface, waited a moment, then came up again. Something's holding me onto me! He screamed. He ducked under again, bending over double in the cold water. The boys on the shore exchanged startled glances, suddenly unsure. It wouldn't be the first time a trick like this had been played, and everyone thought they were unique. But this time the scream sounded so convincing. Was Kieran really in danger? What would happen to them if they left him there to die? Who would dare go in after him? While they struggled with their consciences, Kieran, still below the surface so they did not see him, made his way laterally along the shore, holding his breath. If they came in for him, he would not be where they thought, and he would have the last laugh, sitting on the shore, watching them getting their good clothes wet, whereas he had been careful to wear his oldest, shabbiest clothing. In a group, the boys raced down into the shallows, calling Kieran's name. The bitter chill of the water stopped their rush as they waded cautiously in, staying very close together, and began feeling around under the water, its surface now cloudy with mud and silt, trying to catch hold of their friend's arm or shoulder. They were not far from the shore. When he was certain he was clear of them and above them, Kieran surfaced and looked back. He was only a step from the bank. The others were in to their waists and shoulders, white-faced and with panic, calling his name and taking great gulps of air before they ducked down to try and find him on the lake bottom. None of them was in real danger, however. He was raising his arm to call them when it began. Kieran was the only one who saw it. The others were too busy looking for him. They didn't even realise he stood a dozen or so yards away from them. Staring, staring in horror at the waters roiled at the exact centre of the lake and a gleaming metal helm broke the surface. The great wizard rose up from the dark depth in one tremendous thrust, 
holding a sword above his head as if he'd used it to cleave the water. Lake water streamed off him like a quicksilver. Weed from the bottom of the lock festooned his shoulders and hung across his armoured chest in great slimy swags. His horse with a chestnut stallion almost the colour of blood, caparisoned in the fashion of the 16th century. With the earls faded and rotted collars, the animal leaped upwards from the lake and drew air into its nostrils with a tremendous snort. Kieran screamed. The other boys turned, startled, and looked towards him. But their reactions were too slow. All their surprise were focused on seeing him alive and well. They did not comprehend the meaning of his outstretched arm and widely pointing finger. They did not see the great wizard galloping silently, terribly, towards them across the surface of the lake. The horse striking watery sparks from the water. The earl rose in his stirrups and swung his sword. With an ear-splitting scream, Cairn threw himself the last few feet to shore and ran off across the dewy meadow much faster than he'd come. He did not look back until he was several hundred yards away. By the time he could force himself to stop and turn around, there was nothing to be seen. The surface of Locker was disturbed only by the wind, ruffling and it into tiny wavelets, and by the spreading pool of crimson that floated intact for a little time before it was dispersed by the waves. Kieran O'Carroll never regained his senses, and although he lived on into the middle of the 20th century, he was never able to speak of what he saw that day. The other boys were never found. And a wizard still rides the lake once every seven years.